I just want to talk about, I mean, everything was so beautiful already. Um, I really don't even have to be up here this, <laughs> this afternoon because everything spoke volumes of what God really wants to um, exhibit and show everybody this morning with what happened with him. But I'm just going to go over some verses um, because we do have our celebration today, celebration of life today. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to give some examples because, you know, Jesus knew that he was he was going to die. And in Mark 8:31, he talks about how Jesus predicts his death. So we're going to be reading out of Mark today. And it's Mark 8:31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Peter did not want to hear about him predicting his death. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and then reprimanded Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. I think he was speaking volumes here because sometimes we tend to do that. We tend to look at the world right now from our point of view. We get to see the point of view of others all around the world and what they're estimating and what they're saying about the nation. And that's not where we're supposed to pull from as believers of the Lord. And he's trying to tell his disciples here, look, God's already ordained these steps. God's already said this is what's going to happen. You're trying to, to understand it through your own eyes, and you're not pulling from God. Jesus goes through this transfiguration. And I believe when, you know, when I was growing up and I would hear this, this from the word of God, it spoke volumes to me about the transfiguration. Jesus had to go through a transfiguration, uh, and it was it, transfiguration means connection between heaven and earth. Another word for transform, transformation. In Mark 9, 2 through 4, we're going to read about this. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appeared was trans appearance was transformed. His clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. This was such a powerful moment that Jesus went through of transformation. This is where, see, because the mountain, if you think about the mountaintops, before even Jesus started walking the earth, Moses had the encounter in the mountain. There was many that came to the mountain, and the mountain in those days represented the meeting of heaven and earth. You would go up there to spend time with God to encounter heaven. Here comes Jesus to encounter heaven, and then he talks to Elijah and Moses, who had already understood and known about the heavens and the mountaintops. And here he comes to join them again, you know, Moses encountered it with the burning bush. 
And God tells them, look, take off your sandals. You're standing on a holy ground. In Exodus 3, 5, he talks about that. Mountain always represented change. That when you went up the mountain, some kind of change was coming when you came down. There was a transformation of your mind. There was a transformation. There was a time of encounter with heaven that happened at this moment on the mountain for Jesus. He was in preparation of what was to come. He had to go through the transfiguration. Some of us have to go through a transfiguration. Some of us have to go through a transformation to prepare what God has created us to do. But we begin to run the other direction. Don't want it sometimes. But it's important that we do go through the transfiguration and the transformation God has for us. We go to Mark 9, 30 through 32. Jesus again predicts his death. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee, and Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there. He wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies, and he will be killed, but three days later, he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what he was saying, however, they were afraid to ask him what he meant. They didn't understand what resurrection meant. You know, they experienced with Lazarus, but I don't think that they still understood the power of resurrection. Because he's telling them, I'm going to come back in three days. He's letting them know, this is going to happen to me, but I'm going to be alive in three days. See, they were getting caught up in the death part, and they weren't getting caught up in the life part of the resurrection part and the power of that. That's why they didn't want to ask him about it. Mark 10, 32 through 34, Jesus again predicts his death. They were now on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and the disciples were filled with awe. And the people following behind them were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans, and they will mock, hand him over, they will mock him and hand him over to the Romans, um, they will spit on him, they will mock, mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. He keeps telling them, look. Another time he's telling them, I'm going to rise again. I'm dying. And I, I would call this from death to life. He's telling them, I'm going to die, but I'm going to live again. So he comes with the thing that the enemy has plotted for him, like, this is going to happen to me. I'm going to go through these horrible things, but then life is going to come afterwards. Mark 15, 16 through 20, the soldiers began to mock Jesus. This is after he's gone through the whole thing of, of what they wanted to do with Jesus. They didn't even know what to do with him. 
They had never dealt with a situation like this. The people were saying to crucify him, to kill him. They were coming against him. And then Pilate, he didn't want to take on that responsibility. So he gives it back to the people to begin to, and I'm going over this to keep you what we're going to read next. But Pilate then makes a decision to let the people decide, and the people decided not well. So they thought. <laughs> the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When held king of the Jews, and they struck him on the head again, and I, I believe I read that already, when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off his purple robe and put on his own clothes on him again, and they led him away to be crucified. I can't even imagine the humility that Jesus felt at this moment. They took off his clothes, they put on the purple robe, they put on this thorny crown, and then they, after mocking him, after beating him and spitting on him and doing all these things to him, they unclothed him again to put on his own clothes back on him. Mark 15, 21. This is where it talks about the crucifixion. The passerby named Simeon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, meaning place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers knelt him to the cross, and they divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was 9 o'clock in the morning when they crucified him, and a sign announced the charge against him, and it read, The King of the Jews. Two re revolutionaries were crucified with him, one to the right and one to the left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. He goes through this whole process and the place they take him to is the place of the skull, the place of the mind. I believe that was not done by accident. I believe when, it, when they took him back to that place of the skull meant that we were going to be able to over, overcome the attacks even of our own mind. He was letting us know, look, I'm taking you back to the skull that you would have power to come against that thing that keeps attacking your mind over and over again. I'm not only coming to die for your sins, but I'm coming to show you that 
We're going to the skull again to take back what the enemy stolen, that your mind would be even with Christ, that you would begin to think like him. Mark 15, 33 through 38. At noon, darkness across the whole land until 3 o'clock. Then at 3 o'clock, Jesus then at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. Iholo, Iholo, Lima, and I know I'm saying these wrong, Sabathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed, and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. He made it open and he made a way for that everything he had everything he had prophesied everything he had talked about came to pass on this day and everything he said was fulfilled this moment I want to read it to you from John because it goes along exactly what they were talking about even in the play this morning in John 19:28 through 30 it says it is finished and after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on high sup, and then put it in his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. This is a very thing, a very deep situation here when he says it is finished. He came to fulfill everything that had happened before this time. He came to fulfill it a hundred percent. A hundred percent it was fulfilled. Exactly how it was prophesied, exactly how how the how the dis people before had come to give him words about the Messiah coming and then here comes a time where it all comes together for this moment for him to say it is finished those three words are the most powerful words that us as believers can hold on to every day when the devil comes to lie to you and makes you feel bad about something you have to remind him it is finished when you're battling a sickness in your body, you have to remind him it is finished. Every time the enemy comes and attack your mind, you have to say, nope, he went back to the skull, the place where the skull was at, and it is finished. And the more you begin to speak that in your life, you'll come to an understanding of it is finished is a very powerful moment for us as believers to understand the power of those three words of it is finished. We put up with way too much more than we should. And we give the enemy way too much credit for it. See, when I was brought up in another religion, I always saw the part of death. 
And I remember going to services and weeping and crying in the front. And people would look at me like, why is she so crying? What, what is wrong with her? And they always had the cross with Jesus on it at every single service. And so I never got to see the other side of the cross. I never got to see the life part. I only saw the death part. That's how you get caught up in thinking that the more you, you come up, that there's something more you can add to the cross. But there's nothing we can say or do to add to the cross of what is already finished. But in our mind, we somehow think that when we're brought up of a form of death and not of a form of life. Here comes the time of the burial of Jesus. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth, and then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock, and then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. There's another, there's another verse. I thought I had put it in my notes here, but I didn't. But it talks about where the tomb was located. And the tomb was located by a garden. And I've been preaching a lot lately about the garden and how we were created to be in his image. And it was all about going back to the garden and bringing restoration to what was stolen from the garden. How crazy it is that the tomb was in by a garden. It was a tomb nobody else had ever used. It was a brand new tomb. And it's by, it was by a garden. That symbolizes so much all you prophetic people out there that prophetically that spoke restoration of what was stolen at the garden. Resurrection comes and Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, we're in Mark 16, 1. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered, they saw a young man clothed in a robe sitting on the right side. And the women were in shock. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who, who was Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. The angel's yelling. There's an exclamation part of this. This angel is excited. He's like, he's not here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they his body. 
Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there just as he told you before he died. Those are all the times he told them. I'm going to die, but I'm going to live. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resurrect. <laughs> and, and the women fled from the tomb trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too afraid. I can't even imagine the power in the presence that was sitting there in the tomb when they walked in. You know, you can walk into a place and you can feel the presence of God. I can't even imagine this frightening they felt. They felt the fear of the Lord. And when they walked in and they saw the angel, see, I'm going to tell you something. That angel that was there was there. He was there to make sure that as a messenger, that he would make sure that they understood the truth that Jesus had risen, that he wasn't dead anymore. But the power of heaven, the presence of heaven was in that tomb. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, we're on 69, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene and the women from whom he had cast out seven demons. <laughs> he casted out seven demons from her. Don't tell me what God can't do. <laughs> he casted out seven demons from her. She is amongst Jesus. See, see. We disqualify people sometimes. But Jesus never disqualified anybody. The church probably wouldn't have let her go there. The church would have stopped her and said, you were once demonized, woman. What are you going to do over there to something sanctified with the Lord? But that's not how Jesus was. Jesus used her on purpose. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive, she had seen him and they didn't believe her. Here's disbelief, right? Afterwards, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples. And as they were eating together, he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief. As they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. <laughs> you know, some of us are still the disciples then. Some of us don't know how to pull from that resurrection, even for ourselves to live in that moment of resurrection, that we're not dead in our own spirits. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out the demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle the snakes with safety, and if they drink any poisonous, it won't hurt them. 
they will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. He didn't and resurrect just because it was a good thing. He died to give us that same thing that he walked in when he walked in. Us as believers, as long as we believe and we don't get in disbelief, that we can move in the same power as he did to heal the sick, cast out the demons, bring resurrection power back to those that die. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them. And the Lord worked through them. <laughs> and the Lord is working through us. <laughs> I would even put your little name there. And the Lord is working through Pastor Jeff, and the Lord is working through Pastor Judy, and the Lord is working through Bart. You see what I'm saying? The Lord is trying to work through you. <laughs> Confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. They saw the signs. See, Jesus' resurrection power brought more than we could ever imagine. Because I was brought up to only know the death part of Jesus, when I was younger, my, the Lord had me had an encounter with him, which taught me the other side of the cross, which was life. And in that moment when I had that encounter, I was in the building by myself, and it, I hadn't even known the word at this moment. You know, people get fixated on those things. And they think that you need a degree and you need to know, like, your word memorized and all this stuff. And that's all great. But when you want to have an encounter with God, God's going to show himself to you for the mere purpose of you fulfilling what he's already spoken to you to do. And he came to me one day, and I, and, and I began to, like, I was sick that day. And he says, come worship me. I was so sick, I couldn't, I didn't even want to stand up. My head was just pounding. And he says, come worship me. I could barely even stand up. And the Lord's saying, come worship me. And I began to worship the Lord because he was saying to worship him. See, that's the, the key right there is our worship. So I, I come and I start to flag and worship the Lord in the sanctuary at our old church. And all of a sudden... I fell to the ground because I felt the presence of the Lord fall. And I went down the stairs into the In the natural, it seemed weird. Because in the natural, you go upstairs. But in the spirit, I went downstairs into the tomb. And that was just like crazy for me for a long time. Until I found out that's really how it is. The real tomb, the stairs went down. They didn't go up. So I go to this place with the Lord, and I'm in the tomb, and I know immediately where I'm at, and I can feel the presence of God so heavy in that place. That's why I can't even imagine how the women felt when they encountered the angel there. 
And what happened was that there was these two angels in the tomb with me when I had this encounter. And they were carrying the spices. <laughs> they had the oil in one hand and they had the, 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 the myrrh and the frankincense in the other one. And I just knew they were spices. And all of a sudden, I don't hear nothing in the natural. I just hear what's in the spirit and what God's trying to show me. And I, I began to feel the angels come. I can hear them talking. I can hear the Lord conversing with them. And he's telling them what to do. And he says, I want you to get the red cloth over here, and I want you to cover her. So they go and they get the red cloth, and they cover my body with this red cloth, which represented his blood. And I'm in there, and I, in the natural, I'm on the floor laid out. I can't even stand. And I'm weeping, and I'm crying, and I cannot talk. And all of a sudden... I, I went to get up because I thought the encounter was over. But it's not over. It's not over now. And, and I went to get up, and all of a sudden the angels came. Those two angels came, and they pushed my body down. And as soon as I fell back down, I was in a forest with a bunch of trees, and I could barely see the light shining through the forest trees. And all of a sudden... And that moment, I could feel the angels playing with me in the forest. And they were tossing me around in the ground. My body in the natural was flipping from one side to the other. I know, this is a stretch for you. It was a stretch for me. I grew up Catholic. Where you couldn't even make noises in church. And here I am, flipping around on the ground, back and forth, like, a crazy person, but it's the Lord. And these angels are tossing me back and forth and back and forth. And I am, all I can say is, oh God, oh God, I don't know what you're doing, God. I don't understand this, God. And all of a sudden, I would, they pulled my legs. And my husband walks in the church and is seeing my body. And my body is being pulled in the natural all across the room. And my shirt is hiking up and my pants are all a mess. And he's watching this. And I know some of you are like, man, that sounds weird. I know. See, because the demonic comes to try to steal those things, but they belong to the Lord. The encounters belong to the Lord, but the, the, the demonic stuff, to take that on himself, it's the counterfeit. But right away, we'll believe that, the levitation and all this mess. But it belongs to God, not to him. He's come and perverse it and made it something bad when it never was meant to be bad. The encounters with God and the encounters with heaven. So the angels, they begin to pull me across into the river. And I get into this river in the spirit. And all of a sudden, I'm being tossed in the river. And they're playing with me in the river. Everything comes out of that river. I had another encounter where I saw the body parts in the river that God was going to bring to the believers. That's why I had to go to the river to encounter the river of his living waters of what he really wanted to show us and take us to. 
Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I come up from this thing, and I'm like a mess. My hair's everywhere. My clothes are everywhere. I've got a youth crying in the corner because she can feel the presence of God in the building so heavy. And my husband didn't even know what to say or do because he had never seen that before. Months go by. And I had an opportunity to share this encounter with Bob Jones because I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it was about. So I sat with him and Bonnie Jones, and I said, sir, I was young in the things of God, and I was just sitting there with my little book I took out. We were having lunch with him and his wife. And I said, sir, I said, I had this encounter, and I don't know what it means, but if you could help me with it, I would be so thankful. He says, yeah. He knew already what I was going to tell him. He said, I know what you're going to tell me. He said, you encountered two angels in this place, huh? And I said, yes, sir. He said, yeah, they took you to the river, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, yeah. He says, those are resurrection angels in here. And he says, that's why they anointed with the oil and the, and the spices of the myrrh, just like they did to Jesus on that day. They went to the tomb to find his body to anoint him. And he says, there's resurrection power that's here. I believe that it's for now time. I believe that it didn't just end that day. But I carry around this stuff in my heart to know how real God is. That it just didn't end when he was crucified and he was resurrected. But we're supposed to be carriers of that same resurrection power. We're supposed to be carriers of that same miraculous signs and wonders of healing and things being done even now. It didn't die when he died. People believe that, but that's not true. He's living inside of us. He's wanting each one of us to begin to move in that same power. And all we have to do is say yes to him every single time. We are not the healers. He is. We are not the ones that make the miracles happen. He does. That means it doesn't matter what we look like when we do it. <laughs> Let's just stand this afternoon. See, what we have is very precious, and we cannot devalue it any longer. We, not, we can't just come into church and do what we always do because God is trying to transform us. He's taking us back to the mountain, and he's transforming our mind. He's transforming our thinking and the way we process things so we can be a people of power to begin to demonstrate what his goodness looks like to those out there lost, for the souls of harvest. If you're sick this morning and you need healing in your body, I want you to come up this morning. He wants to touch you. I didn't even know he wanted to do this. So I was sitting there earlier and through worship, 
Because God wants to demonstrate to you how much he loves you this morning. And if you come up to receive, it's not about you. You don't have to suffer anymore. God is trying to come and touch your body, touch that sickness, touch that infirmity so he can heal it. He will come and he'll do it. So if anybody needs any breakthrough, any healing this morning, I don't want you to leave without us extending that to you. And you can come up and you can receive because the Lord just wants to love on you this morning. His love is so powerful that God gave his only son for us. His only son he had, he gave him up for us. God, we value everything that you sacrificed for us, Lord. We don't ever want to walk away, God. He's going to give some of you guys some breakthrough in some areas that you've been trying to do by yourself. But see, you can't do it by yourself. You need God to do it for you and to do it with you. And you keep trying to do it by your own works, by your own power. And God's saying this morning, you can't do it by your own works and your own power anymore because it's not going to be good for you. Come up here and receive your relief this morning. He's a God of breakthrough this morning. Come and take on what he took on for you at the cross. Altar. I saw this morning worries and burdens being lifted off people. See, his cross was for everything. It wasn't just for some things. It was for everything. We're not meant to be worriers and full of burden. We're not meant to carry things that he never gave us. His yoke is easy. It's light. If you need his yoke this morning, then come up and receive the yoke of the Father. <laughs>